Hi, this is Ashley and Maggie, and you're listening to The Watering Hole, a place where animals and animal enthusiasts regularly drink. Every episode, we'll talk about different animals and why they're cool, from basic biology to the threats they face and what people are doing about it, all while under the influence. <laughs> nailed it that time. I think so too. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of two, this is episode two. <gasps> Yay! Which is pretty exciting. It is. And I like that we've kind of taken on a theme for this episode. Yeah. So under the Audubon Society, um, which is a big birding organization, mm-hmm. uh, nonprofit in the U.S., they announced that it's the year of the bird in collabor- collaboration with National Geographic and the Cornell Institute for Ornithology. So with that, we both somewhat unintentionally chose birds for yeah. this episode. Well, Maggie told me that she was going to do a bird, and I was like, oh, man, I was thinking about doing a bird. And she's like, well, it's a year of the bird, so why not? And why, why not do a bird? Birds are awesome. Right, so. right. They are. And a lot of people, this has happened to me a couple times in the last two weeks, People have been like, ooh, I just don't like birds. Birds freak me out. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, okay, so they have the avian flu, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what they were thinking. That's exactly. No, it's the flu. I also have a friend who is deathly afraid of turkeys. She's like, I'm afraid I'm going to be walking in the woods and a turkey's just going to, like, flop down on me. So I can't say he's completely wrong. I was in Belize once, and they have oscillated turkeys there, which I'll have to do someday and just look up oscillated turkeys. They're oscillated? The oscillated. This makes me think it can swivel its head. N- no, like that would be super creepy. Oh. I don't know exactly what oscillated means. They're, like, really brightly colored, mm-hmm. but they're, like, the size oh, of a normal okay. turkey. Yeah. But the place I was staying in Belize, the, this group of oscillated turkeys, they roost in trees. Mm-hmm. So think of, like, a, like a, literally a giant turkey, and in the morning... And they would, like, come down in swarms from these trees. So you'd be, like, walking to breakfast. And, like, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to oh go the long God. way so I don't get an oscillated turkey. And I think they also have, like, a long claw, like, Just on their one. back. Yeah. Oh my on their but back? Not back, like, back, <laughs> like back of their foot. Oh, my oh God. It'd be oh so creepy. Oh, my God. It's on their back. I just had nightmares while awake. Oh. That was awful. But they're really cool, beautiful birds. I understand that to some extent. But in general... Birds are pretty awesome. They are, and it's actually cool that we're doing an episode on them. So mm-hmm. if people are kind of put off by birds, hopefully this will help them to understand them better. Because, so. right, isn't that the whole point? We yeah. should understand things that might freak us out or mm-hmm. that scare us. So. There, Yeah, there are plenty of things. Like, I did not used to like birds, and then I... I the way I recommend it is go birding with somebody who actually likes to bird. <gasps> oh my gosh. And you will see, yes. like, it's literally like seeing things with new eyes in your own backyard. It that absolutely you've never is. Seen. If anybody's looking for a fun summer vacation, I highly recommend and I'm going to plug mm-hmm. the Hog Island Audubon Summer Camp. They have a lot of different adult and children and family camps, they have camps for teachers, birders. But because it's through the Audubon Society, everything is um, bird-focused, mm-hmm. um, and I'm fortunate enough to be a camp instructor for one of their programs. So if anybody out there is looking for a fun summer camp, every summer they host really awesome things. That's Hog Island Audubon Camp. Awesome. Oh, and you get to spend a week on an island in Maine, so yeah. that's pretty awesome. I always see your pictures when you go, and it's... 
It looks so freaking beautiful. Honestly, it's kind of heaven. Oh. And I've been going there for years and years and years. And it's one of the highlights of my God. year. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, let's talk about birds. So yeah, birds. Well, I went first last time. So do you want to go first this time? Oh. <laughs> Let me swallow this wine. Chug, chug, chug. Then yes. maybe I'll go. Okay. So I'm taking kind of a different approach this week because I chose a penguin species that is near and dear to my heart. My my little spiel isn't going to be too scientific this time. It's just going to be what I observed. And you already know a little bit about this. But I chose to talk about the Adelie penguin. Woo-hoo. Because exactly one year ago, I was in Antarctica just trying to learn about climate change and see it firsthand. When I was in Antarctica, I was shadowing more or less an ornithologist and a glaciologist and that is somebody who studies birds and studies glaciers respectively and so when I got back I ended up making a short video of this story that had emerged in all of my conversations with them and that is how the Adelie penguin is kind of an indicator of climate change so without further ado the Adelie penguin um the the Adelie penguin, let's see how to describe it, because we all have these images of penguins. First mm-hmm. of all, there are 18 penguin species worldwide. Right. That's a lot. Worldwide, but none live in the northern hemisphere. Exactly. Which is important because they don't live with polar bears. So if you ever see exactly. anything that advertises a polar bear mm-hmm. with a penguin, it is it's wrong. It's so incorrect. It's so wrong. Of the 18 penguin species worldwide, some do live in warmer waters like South Africa, mm-hmm. Tasmania, Australia. The farthest north that any penguins can be found are the Galapagos Islands, actually, Ooh. which is really fucking uh. far north, right on the equator there. But the Adelie penguin is one of two species of penguin that's restricted to Antarctica. And what mm. that means is that they are not found any further north than the southern continent. Woohoo! There are other penguin species that live in Antarctica, but they can also move um, higher north. And what's interesting about Antarctica is that it has roughly two climates, polar and maritime, I think, which is a little bit warmer. Mm -hmm. Warmer, so warmer, so to speak. Well, warmer than polar, so right, right. <laughs> What's the other penguin yeah, species that's restricted? So it's the emperor penguin, the oh. one that we've all seen in March of the Penguins. Mm-hmm. So those are the two, and the Adelie penguin. It's um, a pretty small penguin, actually. It's only eight to twelve pounds and <laughs> roughly twenty-seven point five inches high or tall. That's just over two what feet. Little two feet. Oh my goodness. They're little. And I find them very charismatic and cute because mm-hmm. they are just black and white. Whereas most other penguins have some other color involved yeah. in them. They're they're very they're classy, cute and classy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and what's interesting in Antarctica is when you go down for scientific purposes, you are entering a world that just has bare minimum human involvement Mm -hmm. and so a lot of these animals aren't used to people Mm -hmm. and if you go sit on a rock on some snow and you don't move for a couple hours these penguins will approach you and start pecking at your foot and your shoelaces and be like what are you and why are you bright red that's amazing you know you're wearing a big polar jacket but 
So you get these really incredible up close views of them. Now that is not to say that I ever touched a penguin because that is a big no-no, touching wildlife, mm -hmm. interfering with them. And that's just because we're entering their habitat. And you know this, yeah. Ashley, but like some people think, oh man, I'm so close to whatever wildlife on whatever kind of adventure I'm in, whether it's the tropics or the mm -hmm. poles, tundra, it, people love to go on expeditions and feel that they have this connection with wildlife. And unfortunately, we don't often remember that this is their home. Mm -hmm. So observe them and and enjoy that natural beauty. Like the way that they are interacting with you is yeah. them naturally and unaffected by yeah. humans. So I, Yeah, I remember I was on a trip once and I was we were with a tro troop of monkeys that was habituated, which habituated means used to humans and stuff like that. Um, and still, you know, you never want to have contact, but you could just sit there and this whole troop would surround you. And I mean, I would hope for most people that that would be enough just that these animals allow you to come into their space and mm -hmm. they're comfortable mm -hmm. and they can just go about doing their daily life. And you don't need to have to touch them or like yeah. hold them. And as cute as a penguin might be or a monkey might be, yeah. let them be where they are because the whole reason that they're comfortable is because people haven't been harassing them. Exactly. And, ha and, and you don't want to ruin that. You don't want to ruin that for especially for the animals, but for other people that come, like you want to yeah. keep that kind of, that's the kind of relationship we should have where it's a nice yeah. balance. It's called wildlife for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's wild. And I can't emphasize enough that when people go to, for example, our national parks, that they just keep their distance oh. from wildlife because you wouldn't want somebody getting up in your face. Yeah. You'd freak out whether verbally or physically mm -hmm. and that's <laughs> what they do. So anyway, a little plug there. So getting back to penguins, these penguins are carnivorous. Car They're carnivorous. Carnivorous. Oh my gosh. Uh, these penguins are carnivorous, which means that they eat fish as well as their favorite entree, krill. And we're going to get into that a little bit more because a lot of people don't know what krill is, but it's kind of the foundation of the food web down in Antarctica. A group of penguins, fun fact, is called a colony. Mm. When they are nesting and having babies, that's called a rookery. Oh. So they can dive up to 575 feet in the ocean when they're looking for their krill and fish. How, how deep is that? Uh, 500. 575 feet. That's a lot. Feet it's farther than meters. I can dive. I'm 100% sure of that. It's 175 meters. So that's that's a pretty great distance. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Especially for being two feet for tall. For being so tiny. I know they're two feet. Two foot tall. Two feet tall. Also, two feet is just a little under a meter. So it's like yeah, 170, more Most, than 100. More, Probably yeah. like 200 penguins. Yes. That's a good <laughs> analogy. That's fast math right there. Great job. I couldn't have done that. 200 penguins. I'm going to measure everything I do in penguins now. <laughs> How long does it take you to get to the metro? Mm, about like 300 penguins. <laughs> but it have to be specific on what kind of. 300 yes. deli penguins. Exactly, because There's emperor penguins can be over a meter to, like, close to a meter and a half high. They're gigantic. They're really big. And then big. the smallest one, isn't it, like, the little blue penguin, blue the, fairy? The blue fairy penguins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, teeny tiny. They're very So you, you need to be specific with your penguin measurements. Yes, exactly. We must um, emphasize that point. How long does it take you to get to the metro? Mm, about 300 Adelie penguins like, or... Could you put that in emperor for me? Or 75 emperors. <laughs> everything in penguins. Do you have a favorite penguin species, by the way? I, I mean, I love all penguins, mm -hmm. which is a total, like, yeah. get-out-of-jail-free card kind of deal. But 
I love jackass penguins, mm. primarily for the name. The name. Um, which, if people don't know, jackass penguins are named because they sound like jackasses and a donkey because they make a brain sound. Mm-hmm. But, like, macaroni penguins are really They're cool. They're pretty cool, actually. Um, I always, I'm a, a, a rooting for the underdog or the smallest, the runt, so, you know, a little blue fairy. Yeah. So, mm, I like all penguins. Okay. <laughs> That's a fair answer. It's so, cheating. It's no, totally I mean, cheating. I feel cheating by saying Adeli is my favorite. Well, you've seen them. I feel like, especially once you've seen, like, yeah. them in, the, I mean, I've seen penguins in in captivity, but, like, seeing them in their place yeah. and being able to be in their environment. So, I haven't seen king penguins, Ooh. but they are probably my favorite, <gasps> t- tied with Adelis. They're so really, don't tell the Adelis. They're beautiful, and they are fascinating, and a lot of people confuse them with emperors, but anyway. So... <laughs> but not Maggie. But not me. <laughs> Getting back to these lovely little Adelis, um... When they lay eggs, they typically lay one, rarely two. If it's two eggs, typically only one will survive. Yeah. But that is just the case in most most bird populations generally, but also most penguin species. What's great is that it is a dual effort in taking care of the chicks. Mm-hmm. So both mom and dad will go out and try to forage for some food, bring it back. And then the way that these parents feed their young is they actually regurgitate the fish or the krill Yummy. into the baby's beak or mouth, pardon me, and we've all seen that if we've seen March of the Penguins, so it's nothing new. Mm-hmm. Adelis have been known to travel up to 185 miles round trip <laughs> to find food. I forgot to take the lid off the wine before I went to pour it. That's cute. Adelie penguins have been known to travel up to 185 miles round trip to find food. Mm-hmm. That is 297 kilometers. Oh, goodness. Round trip to find food. Now, keep this in mind. Keep this little fact off to the side for a okay. minute because it will play play a part in a moment. All right. Um, their nests are made of stones, <gasps> which I find really fascinating because if they don't use stones, if they instead use uh, like moss mm-hmm. to make their nests, the chick has a very lower chance of survival, and that's because moss will keep it wet. Oh. And and cold. Yeah. Whereas the stones, strangely, in Antarctica keep it warmer interesting and allow for better insulation so they um will pick and choose the best rocks from the beaches are they the ones that do that so a couple there's a couple that do there's a couple that will offer a stone to its potential mate and be like look what i found i could make us a really great home Mm -hmm. out of this how's this rock looking so very similar and this is kind of funny some Adelie penguins have been seen snatching stones from other penguins nests Mm, this is mine well, as I started this out, I was talking about how they're this indicator of climate change. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned two things earlier. Krill, what they eat, yep. and how far they, they will travel. swim. So let's jump right in, shall we? We shall. <clears throat> so krill, first things first, are these tiny shrimp-like creatures that, as I mentioned, are the basis of the food web down in Antarctica. If a creature doesn't eat krill, they eat somebody who does eat krill. So... It's absolutely fundamental to the success of of everything down in in Antarctica. Side note, yeah, krill are featured in Finding Nemo. Yes, when they go swim away or swim, swim away, away, swim away. <laughs> like, oh, don't so worry, this whale eats krill. So if you're wondering what krill are, yeah, you could Google it or go watch Finding Nemo. Go watch Finding or Nemo or just watch Finding Nemo. I feel like that's totally apt. Right. All right. Back in. Where where do the krill come from? How do they proliferate? Because krill, interestingly 
is one of the, if not the most abundant creatures on the planet. Mm. Um, they exist in the tens of thousands per clump, if you will. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I should look up what... You know an animal's very abundant when it's measured in clumps. <laughs> Krill Again, birds? I will now only be measuring know. things in a deli penguins in clumps. <laughs> Ashley, how much really, do you I like? I really mm, regret saying that. A third of a clump. Um, I'm not editing it out. <laughs> Krill, they, they are so, so abundant, but they need to eat something. They're this tiny little crustacean. Mm -hmm. What do they eat? They eat an algae called phytoplankton. Ooh, I was going to guess that. Which grows on the underside of sea ice. <gasps> I see the climate change connection. Yes. So when there's a lot of sea ice... Typically, during the winter months, sea ice will proliferate and grow. The continent of Antarctica can actually grow up to two miles in, like, two weeks. That's crazy. In, in, um, in radius or distance. Yeah. It grows. It grows. Yeah. And the sea ice underneath that grows this phytoplankton, and then the krill feed on that. And um, krill, interestingly, live to be, like, three to five years, so... I don't know why if that's really? relevant, but yeah, I just remember that funny fact. It's, I mean, I just like I always think of because krill are so small, I almost compare them to insects, and insects don't, like, you know, right. like, don't usually live very long. So the fact of, of like a all right, let me try talking normally. No, no, the no, fact keep that talking. I, I'm finding my a facts. krill like a tiny, tiny crustacean. How big are they? Uh, smaller than a shrimp, like uh, smaller than your index finger. Good lord. To live three to five, I just don't think of things that small yeah. living that long. Yeah. Which, I don't know, maybe that's ageist. Maybe. <laughs> it's animal ageism. So, yeah, they, they feed on phytoplankton, and phytoplankton grows on the underside of sea ice. Since 1979, total sea ice extent in Antarctica has decreased by about 40%. Holy shit. So you can see that has a direct effect on how much krill there is. Yeah. And because I mentioned they krill can live three to five years, their reproduction cycles will kind of stunt and expand depending on sea ice extent. Yeah. And we're seeing these perturbations of sea ice mm -hmm. as climate is changing. Good word. Um, so it's just become very irregular. Yeah. And since the 1970s, we've seen now irregular but more or less decreasing uh, pattern mm -hmm. in Adelie penguin populations. Less sea ice, less food for the krill, less krill, less food for the penguins, yeah. essentially. And the reason that the Adelies are, are an indicator as opposed to other penguin species is because they primarily pr prefer krill, whereas some of these other penguins will eat more fish than yeah. krill, more, a little more opportunistic. Or the emperor penguins, for example, who also live in Antarctica, they prefer bigger food because they're a bigger creature. So it's it's really unfortunate. And when I was down in Antarctica, I was at what is now the northernmost edge of their range where you will find Adelie penguins, and there were very few there. Mm -hmm. And that's because they're being pushed further and further south more inland into the continent as opposed to up on the peninsula and that's because they they can't stand this warmer weather and they're going further south to go find the sea ice where the krill are so it's this combination um of of effects 
And um, interestingly also, other penguin species that thrive in slightly warmer temperatures are now taking over some of the mm. colonies that Adelis live in mm -hmm. or did live in. So it's now getting harder for them to find food. It's getting harder for them to find their nesting grounds. And in Antarctica, there isn't much further south for them to yeah. go. Really, that's it. There but comes a point where you can't go any further. Exactly. Because we, we do live on exactly. a globe. <laughs> and Sphere. we mentioned earlier how far these penguins will swim to find food, yeah. like roughly 185 miles. Mm -hmm. um, that was over 290-some kilometers. When they have to go further inland, that prolongs the time away from their nest, mm -hmm. and that decreases the chance of a chick's survival. If mom and dad are gone for twice as long as they used yeah. to be, that chick is going to starve. And unfortunately, we are already seeing that. The Antarctic Peninsula has warmed about four or five degrees. It's The peninsula itself is warming at a rate six times faster than the rest of the planet. And of course, climate change is not a blanket distributed evenly across the planet. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that. They expect, oh, climate change just means global warming. No, those two things are actually quite different. Climate change just means that these trends are creating irregular weather that we're seeing daily. Yeah. It's it's super important, and unfortunately, yeah, these penguins aren't doing so well, and there have been some massive die-offs. However, mm -hmm. I do want to point out that just this week, so this is March, early March in 2018, a massive super colony of Adelie penguins were found on the Antarctic Peninsula um, that were previously not known about. And that's just because now oh. technology is allowing us to use drones yeah. and use oh. satellite imagery. Um, and this information was collected by satellite, and we found a population of 1.5 million Adelie penguins, oh. which is great because previous colonies in the last year alone have had minimal chick uh, success rates, mm -hmm. and this this pe this penguin species was considered like on the brink. Mm -hmm. You know, that's so amazing. Now that we have found this massive super colony, it's encouraging mm -hmm. but it's also kind of a test what's going to happen to them yeah as they're it's all looking for food and definitely the waters like are something to watch and see how it how it does absolutely if anybody would like to learn more about adelie penguins i know i've kind of i've really only scratched the surface about them but they are such a cute charismatic oh. creature if you want to learn more there are, are two recommendations I have. One is a book. It's called The Ferocious Summer. It's by Meredith Hooper. Mm -hmm. It was um, kind of like my background reading material to when I made my short film about Adelis. It is a very comprehensive read. It takes you into the daily life living Antar in Antarctica, researching, studying, what goes into the science behind it. So... Mm -hmm. Um, you'll get all you need to know out of that from a historical perspective because she's been she has gone to Antarctica several times and documented what's happening to penguin species. And also check out my film. That's my second plug. Ooh, good so plug, good plug. Um, head on over to YouTube and search In Search of the Adelie Penguin. And if you have five free minutes, you can watch my entire film because it's just a short little clip and talks about climate change and what's happening. And there you can see what these Adelie penguins look like and why they're so adorable. Mm -hmm. So so that's the Adelie. And let's hope that their story doesn't end here. Nice.
Yes. Good job. Oh, so cute. I'm gonna have to go. I've watched. I mean, I've watched. I've watched your short film, but I'll have to go back and watch it again. Yeah. And just stare at belly penguins. Stare, stare birds all day. There are so many penguins. So many great penguins. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go research penguins. I mean, not right now. Not right now, but yeah. Not right now. I've got another, a different bird to talk about. I'm really um, excited to hear about yours. Listen. I know nothing about this creature. <laughs> I. When I, I decided to do this this uh, bird because of a conversation we had at work, and there's a very particular picture as to why I decided to look into this creature, and it's so much cooler than I thought. I learned so much, but like almost to a point where it was overwhelming mm-hmm. because they're very much a concert. They're I wouldn't say I mean they're a conservation success story because um, they had very very low numbers and now they they have more sustainable numbers, but so that means there's there's a lot of stories of like attempted conservation. Oh. And there's, like, literally I was just like, okay, so this year they did this. This year they did this. So I'm going to try to be as comprehensive as possible. Uh But I was like, this is a lot of numbers and a lot of dates. Oh, my gosh. So hopefully it'll all make sense. Okay. I. But I'll I'll, I'll make it work. I'm a little tipsy, so I'm going to try to follow. Good. Without further ado, the animal I chose to do this week, the bird, is the whooping crane. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, man. And so the reason we I did the whooping crane because in our in my office so I work at an environmental agency so animals are a topic that come up often and we were talking about like the weird extremes that people have gone to um, in terms of conservation which is really cool and the really interesting thing to talk about and one of my coworkers pulled up a picture of this person who was dressed in a costume of a whooping crane and it for one is terrifying a little bit about the whooping crane. As I pull up this picture, the whooping crane is the tallest bird in North America, which I did not know. And so they stand about about the same height as a great blue heron, um, which which is a much more common bird, but they're a lot heavier. Hmm. So they can stand up to 1.5 meters at the tallest. Okay, that's 4.9 feet. That's like a small person. Like, how tall are you? I'm five three. Okay, so a little On bit a shorter <laughs> than Maggie, and that, I mean that's the tallest. Yeah. But they also have a wingspan of two point three meters or seven point five so feet. So they could just give me a really big hug. Yeah, they could wrap your body like a bazillion times with their giant wings. But anyway, so they're these, they're these tall, they're these white birds, they have a red, they're, you can tell because they have a red cap on their head. Oh, okay. Black beak, I believe, or bill, um, and then the very tips of their wings are, are black. Yes. But for the most part, they're white. So, back to the image that's so creepy. There's a couple of them because they've used this a couple, they've used this a couple times. One thing that happens in, in rearing animals, especially with like captive conservation programs, baby animals will imprint, which right. means... They recognize the parent, so if they imprint on a, a different species, they can't reproduce later in life because they don't understand what species they are, basically. That's my drunk way of explaining imprinting. Yes, yes. But so, when rearing chicks in captivity, if they want them to mate in the wild, they'll dress in these costumes as whooping cranes, and so they're, like, dressed in all white, oh, and a lot of times they'll have, like, a puppet. Oh, my gosh. So, like, a, I'm showing Maggie the picture right now. So they have, like, a puppet, but, like, they're also, like, kind of creepy because they're just these giant white suits. And so, then, like, one basically, hand. to conserve a whooping crane, uh-huh. you have to be a member of the KKK. That's what, what it I'm looks seeing. like. That's which, what I'm seeing. Which and that's what I'm not liking. Creepy. <laughs> 
But in reality, that is not true. That is not true. Whooping Crane Conservation and the KKK are not connected. No. But the attire is similar. Oh, wow, look at so that. We were talking about in at work. Guys, of, you gotta Google this. Yeah, I mean, if we have an Instagram, we will post a picture Ooh. for sure. Of it's just like we it's just I mean, I love the links that people will go for conservation, but like sometimes you're like, this is weird. So after that I was like, Well now I'm intrigued. And then I found out that they were the tallest North American bird. They live twenty two to twenty four years. So what kind of noise um, do whooping cranes make? Do so, they whoop? Is that why they're called whooping? So they do make a noise. Honestly, the things that came up were more about their conservation. Okay. But the um, I know. So I can't remember. So a similar similar to a whooping crane is a sandhill crane. That's kind of like their closest cousin. Okay. And you'll see in a lot of the conservation, sandhill cra- cranes are used as foster parents. Oh. And. I think it was a sandhill crane that I heard, but a whooping crane might not be that much different, but I was in Alaska and we were doing an interview and I think it must have been a sandhill crane because I don't think whooping cranes live in Alaska. I, they don't. I did my research. Um, and sandhill cranes sound like, like a dinosaur. Like they sound prehistoric. Yep. Exa- beautiful. Mm, mm, yes. Um, but... I'm assuming whooping crane are, are, they are named for the sound that they make, but I think it's just very much a dinosaur noise. <laughs> um, if, if Jurassic World 2 needs uh, Maggie's some voice over. She's ready to go. I can provide a pterodactyl yeah. noise. But my, one of my favorite things in doing this research is that whooping cranes are, I referred to in like all of the literature that I was reading. Literature. That makes it sound super scientific. And Wikipedia. Um, no, I did look up other things, but they're, they're, they call them whoopers. Whoopers. Oh, that's perfect. I love it. The first couple times I, I read it as whoppers and I was like, that's not right. Oh they're not burgers. Oh um, but yeah, so they're called whoopers, which is super fun. So they do have some natural predators, a lot of, um, nest and brood predators. So they'll eat chicks or like go after nest, American black bear, wolverine, gray wolves, uh, mountain lions, red fox, Canadian lynx, Canada lynx, sorry. So yeah, where, where do these whooping cranes live? So you're describing a lot of like deciduous slash temperate. So they'll go up north into Canada um, and south Manitoba. back down to Texas. There's a population that they're working with in Louisiana, but there's also a population east of the Mississippi that the in the south they'll go down to Florida and then they'll migrate up north into mm, Minnesota. Damn it. Wisconsin. Damn it. I love my states. Oh, I thought I was getting better. I was wrong. But anyway, so they're migratory birds, but there is some conservation efforts to work with a non-migratory uh, population. Oh. So that's why I was, like, hesitant to be like, this is where they are. Okay. Wow. That would be cool to see them flying overhead with that massive wingspan of theirs. Yeah. They're- Do they, and they fly in flocks. Yes. Yes, not giant flocks because there's not a lot of them. Okay. Um, but they don't like just fly alone. Okay. So they're omnivores. They'll eat both meat and plant matter. But I liked. I read one thing that was like so that they'll search in shallow waters or fields, marshes, kind of area. It said more inclined to animal matter than other cranes. So they like their meat more than than more, other cranes. More inclined. Right. I was like, what an interesting way to put that. But they'll eat like crustaceans, mollusks, fish, small reptiles, um, and then a- aquatic plants. Okay. Also, small rodents, other birds they'll eat. Wow. Which I don't know if like they hunt, 
It sounds like they're very but, opportunistic. So yes. it also sounds like they should be doing well mm-hmm. for themselves. But they're not because of all these conservation efforts. So yes. what the heck is... So my next bullet point just says conservation with an exclamation point. Uh, and I'm like, how well did I actually organize this now that I look oh, at I it? I didn't at all. <laughs> so it's weird because their main reasons of decline are kind of the common things you think of. There's nothing in particular like, the, oh, this is why, like, this is the thing that stands up. This is why they're different. A lot of sources say that people think that they're just a naturally rare occurring bird, that they are not super like populous mm-hmm. to begin with which it seems weird to me but mm-hmm. um it could be Maybe the case because they're bigger and they are more susceptible to yeah. natural predators mm-hmm. yeah but the mo- main dec- decline is overhunting, or in this case now because they are endangered illegal hunting but a lot of things is habitat um, habitat loss habitat loss especially and this is true for a lot of migratory species because you have to think they don't just have one place that has to be conserved they have their summer home they have their winter home and they have all these flyover stops so yes. their their rain i mean their habitat is you know this entire stretch across north america mm-hmm. so it's not no surprise really that that habitat loss is one of their main concerns so you said hunting. Who's mm-hmm. hunting these birds? So that was unclear to me. Because, so now they're not hunted a lot. Um, I don't know if it's like an accidental somebody hunts them. Because, um, so they're, um, in 1961, in order to improve the status of the whooping cranes, the Whooping Crane Conservation Association, or the WCCA, was formed. And I was looking at them because I was like, oh, 1961, they're probably still not around. But they very much are. And they have a Facebook page and oh a newsletter. God. And one of the things in the newsletter was talking about people who were, who were, who were fined and imprisoned for, for killing a whooping crane. Wow. But I think it, it might be more of an accidental hunter. I don't, I don't think it's people are going out and intentionally being like, I need to get a whooping crane. But they are, you know, one of the larger birds. They're, some, right. they're an easier target. So if you go out and you don't know what you're hunting and you're just going out to hunt and you don't know the restrictions, yeah. they're going to be a target that if you see it, that's a pretty good target. That's a big Shucks. bird, and I want it. So they're, like I said, they're believed to be naturally rare, but they do believe before the Europeans got to North America that there were 10,000-plus birds before people settled here, mm-hmm. so that they were around. And by 1870, there were between 1,300 and 1,400 birds. So they're in the thousands, Wow. but not a lot. That's very rare, actually. Ooh, just wait. Because by 1938, there is believed to be 15 adults. <gasps> 15! 15! In 1938. Oh my god! So they're like, oh, they're not around anymore. So this is why there's all these conservation efforts. And on top of that, I feel, I feel like when something's the biggest or the largest, or like even the smallest, when it's at one end of the spectrum, it's like, oh... Maybe we should keep it around. Yeah. And they are super cool looking birds. They really are. They're quite majestic. They are very majestic. So in terms of conservation, so like I said, in 1961, the Whooping Crane Conservation Association was formed. And they're doing a lot. They do a lot to um, kind of inform the public, but also contribute a lot to both wild reintroduction and like captive raising Mm, kind of um, attempts. So... I have a bunch of different dates of different things that happen of like kind of how they tried to do things. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with in 1975, combination of U.S. Fish and Wildlife and also Canadian Wildlife Services because again they fly all the way into Canada. Yep. They started cross fostering with sandhill cranes to try to create a, a self sustaining flock 
that use that flyaway from Canada all the way down to like New Mexico. So what that means is that they have sandhill cranes rear these chicks. So they'd have 85 chicks from 289 whooping cranes transplanted and tried to have them learn the migration. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, been the biggest hurdle through all these conservation stories, that if they're a migrating flock, someone needs to teach them where to go. But because of this cross-fostering, um, whooping cranes later failed to mate because they imprinted on sandhill cranes. I was going to ask. So yeah. then this is my favorite. In 1976, and this is kind so of this where is the one costume year after the one but, conservation mm, effort started. Yes, but okay. it's different people. But it's a different. There effort. are multiple totally. times, and I don't even have them all listed here. But so in 1976, I believe was the the initial use of this costume that the this um, uh-huh. costume I was talking about. So there was an ornithologist named George W. Archibald, which I feel like is a very 1976 name began working relatively famously with a female whooping crane called whose name was Tex. And so for three years, he dressed as a, as in this whooping crane costume and started walking like a male crane would walk and calling and dancing to get her in a reproductive status, Aww. kind of. And so the purpose was to try to um, get her to lay a fertile egg through artificial insemination. Aww. So they'd have to, like... A male would have to be present in order for her to to lay a fertile egg. I don't know so, why I'm saying fertile instead of fertile. <laughs> so for three years, uh, this man just walked and oh called and danced like a male whooping crane. And sadly, but also happily, is that she did in fact ha- um, lay in a fertile egg and had one hatchling, whose name was G Wiz. That's what they named the hatchling. But that was her one and only chick, and she died shortly after. Oh, she died or the chick died? She died. Oh, no. I mean, the chick eventually died. I don't think it, they, they introduced it to any kind of colony. Oh. Um, so those three years dancing around, poor George. Oh. Didn't mean a lot. That's so sad. Yeah. But So that was 1976. So the next ones I have aren't until 1993, but there were other things going. There were other conservation sure, efforts yeah. going on. So, in 1993, um, U.S. and Canadian Whooping Crane Recovery Team, they were trying to establish a non-migratory population in Kissimmee, Florida. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Familiar. So, they uh, were introducing birds into a population. They introduced 289 in 1993, but by 2006, so almost 13 years later, only 53 birds remained. Wow. Um, and they couldn't figure out why there were such high mortality rates and yeah. why they weren't reproducing, so they just continued that project. But the one really cool one that happened in 1993 were introducing whoop, whoopers uh, to the flyaway east of the Mississippi. So that's the one that was from Wisconsin down to Florida. Okay. Or that, that flyaway zone. So flyaway is kind of like a highway, but for birds. Yeah, I like it. So they would rear young birds in isolation and teach them how to follow an ultralight aircraft. So, <gasps> like, like the movie Flyaway Fly Away Home. Home, which I believe was with Canada Geese. Yes. So it's the same, I believe it's the same nonprofit called Operation Migration. Oh, um, cool. In which, again, they teach these birds to follow. Um, an ultralight aircraft that will fly the flyaway, and then so they'll fly the migration route, mm-hmm. and with hopes that um, they can integrate them kind of into the yeah. population, and then they don't have to fly it anymore, and the birds have learned, and will teach their young, and they yes. can kind of establish oh, a wow. population. Tell me this was successful. Um, so, sort of. So it did work, and they did have successes, and and they had birds that would fly the migration routes. Um, I believe they had they they had survival rate 
good survival rates every year except for one year in like 2007 there was a really bad storm and almost all of the chicks died but they had so much success that in 2006 june 22nd 2006 the first whoopers hatched east of the mississippi in over 100 years and they were wow. they were hatched from two from two parents that had been re- had been introduced had to the been. wild oh so they gosh. were the first kind of wild born chicks in that 2006 is a story. but the program was uh, ended in 2016 so pretty recently why was it ended i don't know i don't think they were Funding having the success as 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 um as they wanted okay um not enough success so what is the current status of the whooping crane do you know so there's only a total of 603. Oh my gosh, this bird is so rare. Yeah. So it's very much, and again, these are numbers from 2015, and I was surprised that they weren't, that I couldn't find numbers from 2018. I'm sure if I looked hard. And it's also, there's, they're very specific populations. Yeah. And it, and it seems like the main problem is there are migratory birds. Granted, they have these non-migratory populations, Mm -hmm. but for anything that's migratory, you, you're problems increase exponentially you have you know three bazillion times as many area to coverage because you don't have this one area to conserve you have areas to and you're you're in this case you're crossing country lines you have i mean granted canada and 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 the u.s seem to have been working a lot together on this but you have different regulations you cross straits i mean there's plenty of states with lots of species where you go one place and it's fine to hunt them you go to another place and it's not and and that's the problem with like species don't understand what boundaries we have put in place of course not and so that environmental things don't work on that level you know they're just gonna go where they're gonna go and it doesn't matter if they're in you know wisconsin or minnesota they don't know right that's just where they need to go and what's kind of sad is we talked about habitat loss and humans just have this need to expand and take up Mm. every piece of land that is still available and undeveloped and then we go and develop on it and that's previously marshland where these birds probably flew to and so when they come back through their migratory patterns they're landing in a parking lot yeah and they have nowhere to go and i mean at least i would like to say that again and was it 1938 there were 15 of these creatures so they're on the up and up they They are. are on the up and up yes and it, it is inspiring to see, as much as a lot of these conservation things have not failed, but not done as expect, as well as, right. as expected or hoped, that people are trying. They yeah. care. Yeah. But Gosh. again, they're on the up and up. Yeah. And I mean, they're not there yet, but... Well, they are a really beautiful, unique bird, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of effort should be made to conserve and preserve. Mm-hmm their populations yeah. and their habitat. Yeah, and if you're interested about, the again, the Whooping Crane Conservation Association since 1961 is still very active, and they want to provide information and publications and, and as much information about these really cool, awesome birds that we have and not a lot of people know about because they're yeah. not around a lot. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Good choice. Thank you. Yeah, and if anything, the pictures of people dressed as whooping cranes. Maybe that's what will be for Halloween. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> that perfect. Would, ooh, I feel like that would not go over well. well oh, yeah, that's right, because you're dressed in all white. Mm, yeah. Ooh. Bring some over. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, I think it's that time. For, for the mermaid's purse? The mermaid's purse. Oh. 
this is just a reminder that our mermaid's purse is our grab bag that we're going to close out each episode with. Mm-hmm. And our grab bag is full of animals that we may not have heard of. Yeah. And we work in the environmental industry slash world, so for us to have not heard of these animals, yeah, they're probably pretty wacky. So on the fly, now that we've had a couple glasses of wine, we're going to just pull one out of our purse and be ready. ready. Do you want to pick? Ooh. The satanic leaf-tailed gecko. Wow. Okay. So this just sounds like an evil evil gecko with an interesting tail. Uh, Do you know what this animal is? I don't, I mean, I know what a gecko is. I know what a gecko is. So I... Satanical leaf-tailed gecko. Satanic. Satanic. Satanical. Come on. All I know is that I love geckos. I think they're interesting. I remember... (laughs) <laughs> they're just I. There was an article in Nat Geo once. And it was about their. Oh my god! About, that's what they look like. A, ah! All right, I gotta search this. You're way so, ahead of me. Nat Geo. Oh, but so there was an article about gecko feet and like how they work. And I without. Thanks, Maggie. Without rereading the article, there's no way I can explain how gecko feet work. But like, because if you think of a gecko, they can literally like hang upside down. But when I, oh my god, they're so cute. They're so weird looking, but cool. They look like oh. dragons. So, when I was in a yoga class in Bali, there were a lot of geckos just floating around. And they were making that noise, like, eh yeah, it sounds like gecko. That's exactly right. So, one of my now friends, but yoga instructors, she would get us, like, into crow pose or some position, and she'd be like, all right, I need you to put on your gecko feet, because when you're you know, sometimes in a yoga position, you are using your fingers, you know? And so think about, like, what a gecko's feet do, like the geico gecko or something. What do they look like? And that's exactly what you're doing. Like, this gecko vodna. It's really it's cool. insanity. Okay, they're so, so cute. So why is it called satanic? It's- I don't know. But so the leaf tail is very obvious if you yeah. look at a picture of him. He looks and like, like a leaf. It's crazy because, like, you think, like, oh, it, like, it literally looks like their tail is, like, not, like, kind of like a leaf. Like, it looks like it's a whole separate entity. Like, I don't know. When I feel like animals that are camouflage or, like, have that kind of thing, their right. whole body is kind of that thing. And, like, right. it kind of blends in one. And if you look close enough, like, oh, yeah, that's it. But in this case, the tail looks, like, completely separate from the animal. And granted, the animal itself has the coloration of, like, a decaying leaf almost. Sure. And this but is such a... the tail is, like evolution for such survival a lot of animals have done that like fish mm-hmm. lizards um where they will they almost look like the environment in which they live in mm-hmm. so that predators will not suspect them yeah. and just overlook them so it's very cool however why satanic i don't know but i just we, that read would require that, some research that apparently they're referred to as fans for short because their scientific name is Europlantis fanta fantasticus fantasticus so they're called fans <laughs> i love it oh fans and whoopers man they can live longer than 10 years oh what? my gosh what all right i'm still not finding anything about why they're satanic I wonder if... They eat snails. Mm, that's what Satan does. And crickets and roaches. Mm, yes. All right. So I need to get a satanic leaf-tailed gecko in my apartment. Yeah. Oh, they're indigenous to the island of Madagascar. Ooh. Very cool. Okay, cool. Man, we knew a lot more about our last one. 
That's okay. That's the whole point. That is. Why? This is cool. All right. Why well, are that's... you satanic? No. Maybe it's because they have large eyes. If you listening can tell us why they're called a satanic, please God tell us. <laughs> leaf-tailed gecko, write to us. Yeah, contact us. That would be awesome. That was oh a good gosh. mermaids first. But if anything, they're so cool. So many different creatures mm. exist in right? the animal, the bird, the reptile, the fish kingdoms. Yeah, and and they all have evolved to have their specific purpose and look and. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. They're all so individual. Yeah. I love it. Oh. It's, a, it's been a pleasure learning about birds today. Right? It's a nice bird episode. Yeah. And with a little bit of gecko thrown in at the end. I, I love think, it. I love it. Which I think everyone needs. A satanic leaf-tailed gecko. Oh, my God. Your gecko noise is on point. Super cool. Super awesome. Go animals. Go animal kingdom. Yeah! Woo! Just a reminder that... We do our research to the best of our ability, but our goal is to in- is to inspire as most as we can. Yeah. As moose as we can. Oh my god, do you want me to talk? I don't know what word I just made up. So, this is just a friendly reminder that even though we're doing some research, we're also not um, biologists. We don't know about these animals like the experts. Mm-hmm. We're just really passionate about them, and we love them, and we want you to be excited about them too. So, if you... Uh, need or are interested in talking about these animals, please do your research. Do not yeah. cite us. We are not, uh, though, we're, though we're credible individuals, we're not a credible source. Yes. And we encourage you to learn more, to Absolutely. educate yourselves. If, you're, if these inspire you like they inspire us. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah. Tune well, in next time. For the watering hole. When we learn about more animals and we talk about their biology, the threats they face, and what you can do. Bye.